The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, very warm well, welcome to this, I think it's a Wednesday edition of Scorebox already with Arabili Gamedi and myself, Steve Sedgwick, and these are your headlines. Well, I guess that's it for the Santa rally. Investors taking money off the table with the Nasdaq posting its worst first day trading of the year. Well, since 2016, this after Barclays sells on Apple. Maersk suspending shipping through the Red Sea, extending a two-day pause until further notice amid a flurry of attacks from Houthi rebels. A senior Hamas leader is killed in Beirut, sparking fresh fears the Gaza war may spread as Lebanon's prime minister accuses Israel of trying to drag it into the conflict. And Tesla's second on the grid, ceding its top EV maker spot to BYD for the first time in the final three months of the year, but holding on to its crown for the year. And a Bitcoin bull run. The cryptocurrency continuing a stellar three-month rally, breaking through $45,000. Uh, seems that optimism is growing over an ETF offering this year. How you doing? Good, thank you. Good, good, do, you good. Want, do you want to just admit what was the first headline supposed to be? No, 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 no. Far, far <laughs> bit for me to go on. But, but the, 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 the producers wrote so long question mark, uh, Santa question mark. And I was like, without doing a high pitched A at the end of Santa, I'm not quite sure. So long, Santa? So, it's so long, Santa? Yeah, well, look, the fact of the matter is. <laughs> I, 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 I get it. You know, it was a big day of movement yep. from the Nasdaq. It was a big day down. But quite frankly, if we can just re remember what we said yesterday, the enormous rallies that some of those stocks, the top seven technology stocks yep. showed last year, plus the wider Nasdaq, which was up, what, over 40%? It was 24 hours ago we mentioned. Yeah, so over 40 odd percent higher. Yep. You saw the S&P having a strong rally. You saw all the indices pretty much moving higher as well. One day straight, people just spend so much time going, oh, so goes the first day of the year, so yeah. goes the year, so goes the first week of the year. It's all nonsense. And it's there's absolutely so many... no. It's like sell in May and go away, don't come back to St. Ledger Day. <laughs> well, we all Google every year when St. Ledger Day is, sometime in September. But it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's actually about fundamentals over the medium to longer term as well. For short-term traders, that, that's fine. If you yeah. think there's a trend to be had from the first day trading to the first week trading, that's fine. But what really matters is the underlying economy, interest rates, valuations, uh, and of course, um, the investor flows underneath that. Exactly, and I mean, if, if you're very, if you're much of a stickler for these numbers, as you've been saying, I mean, look, the, the, we even get statistics on it, right? Like how significant that first day move becomes for the rest of the year. Ultimately, on the first day of trading has been down only three times out of the last eight years, but actually for the year, that means almost nothing really right, okay so so we were down on the nasdaq yesterday aggressively and for most of the last couple of years a lot from the november 22 22 rally to pretty much the last day 
uh, of December, or give or take the last day of December trading as well. We've had the most almighty rally from those November 2022 lows, or yep. the October-November lows as well. Huge rally. All of a sudden, because we were down yesterday, if you fancied those stocks, if you love Tesla, if you love Meta, if you love Apple, are you going to be ditching your... Oh my goodness me, I'm a medium to long-term mm. holder. Yep. I normally hold my stocks for a year to five years, or something along those lines, if you're a medium-term holder as well. Yes, I'm suddenly going to sell out all my positions because we were nothing. down... It means absolutely yeah. zip in the long-term thing. But, but people love all this kind of stuff of as well. So we have, to, we have to dish it up for our viewers, just in case there's someone out there who wants to disagree I mean, with us. We, we, we happen as a show daily, so we have to give these daily moves, don't we? Exactly. Just provide anyway, perspective. Let's... daily moves were negative. They uh, were. Apart from the Dow, which inconveniently for those people talking about it being a negative day, was mildly higher. But anyway, you talk yeah. us through it. Let's, let's, let's get into it, right? So it was really those magnificent seven stocks again that we make note of if you were looking at the likes of Tesla because they did bring out those delivery numbers, of course, seeding their top spot then to BYD when it comes to total deliveries. Again, we spoke about it yesterday with Steve that it's about those margins perhaps for a lot more investors. But nonetheless... Those numbers are indeed saying what they will. One and two-thirds of a percent down then for the Nasdaq by the close of that trading picture. Again, none of the Magnificent Seven managing to find a gain. Only Tesla actually found itself a little bit flat uh, by the end of the day's trading. The EV maker, of course, seeding, as I said. AMD was also a big loser yesterday uh, for, these, uh, for the Nasdaq decliners. It was down 6.5%. So it's among the chip makers then that actually went down. So too, Intel, 5.5% weaker. ASML dropping off 5.6% too. So that chip space losing out a little bit in yesterday's trading picture. S&P 500 down just around half a percent. Here we go then. Here is that uh, Apple and tech sector picture then. Overall, it was a downward day across the board for a lot of these, right? Apple, as we noted, 3.5%, the biggest loser uh, pretty much uh, um, alongside AMD, uh, which also dropped off nearly 6% then by the close of that trading picture yesterday. Very interestingly, the tech stocks had their worst day in more than two months. The S&P, its poorest day in almost a fortnight. So all interesting facts, of course, to have come out of yesterday's trading picture, not necessarily helping out uh, in the in the sentiment gauge, I suppose, then. But what happens for the remainder of the year? Significantly, that is the important part. That is what investors will then perhaps be looking at. Does this provide any indication of what happens for the remainder of the year? Perhaps too soon. It's only day one, right? These are just some of the other uh, uh, semiconductors as well and those that provided data then even to Apple. Very interesting. Samsung Electronics going down then as well. 3% as one of the big losers there. SK Hynix as well uh, losing out in this day's trading. Down this morning again. Most of the tech and the chip stocks, including, as I said, LG, even Samsung and SK, more than 2% weaker in this trading picture. TSMC also losing out today. The Japan's markets, of course, closed until Thursday. Treasuries. Well, the yields actually picked up then yesterday, didn't they? They rose as traders returned from the holidays, perhaps not so much uh, of an exuberant mood when it comes to what is going to happen with regards to interest rates for this year. Those aggressive cuts that are anticipated by the market, perhaps petering off a little bit there. The tenure did pick up, however, nine basis points then after a six-month low of 3.78, which it did hit last week. We're now at 3.9406 for the 10-year Treasury. The two-year, which does, of course, follow on uh, the interest rate expectations in a shorter time span then, that moved seven basis points higher. Even European bonds actually moved uh, a little bit higher within striking distance uh, of multi-month lows, however, despite that uptick.
onto the dollar crosses then uh, as well here buoyant thus far this year having ended off last year a little bit uh, worse for wear lifted by rising treasury yields the dollar's uptick is keeping pressure on the Japanese yen as well as the euro. In fact, the dollar index is on track for its biggest daily percentage gain since October. The euro also slipped in a weakened environment, economic environment. Yesterday, we saw those PMI numbers come out as well. So providing some pressure there. So you're seeing a little bit of weakness this morning compared to yesterday's strength for the dollar. So the weakness this morning coming back ever so slightly into that dollar. 142 still as we look at that dollar yen mark. WTI Brent crude oil. Here is the picture thus far for those commodities. Brent crude rose over 2.5% yesterday, even hitting $79 a barrel, having ended 2023 at around $77 a barrel. We've now come off those levels. Brent crude oil at $75.79 a barrel is down just around a tenth of a percent. Of course, we are looking um, at uh, conditions as well and what is happening out of the Red Sea following the sinking of three Houthi uh, boats then by U.S. Navy helicopters over the weekend. Iran sending a warship into the region, slowly escalating tensions by the seams of it uh, across that region. So we did see big moves out of oil yesterday. Spot Brent crude oil still above $2,000 a barrel. It's up around a quarter of a percent this morning. Asia markets, as I said, Japan not trading today. In fact, won't be uh, or will be closed until Thursday uh, is that market. But a negative tilt across most of this market. Again, the tech stocks, the chip makers, those are the ones really getting a bit of a hit then today. More than 1% down for the Hang Seng. The Kospi also more than 2% weaker. Having hit an all-time high then yesterday, the Australian index is down one and a third of a percent. Where do we see the U.S. market opening? Well, this is where your futures lie right now. We do look a little bit down thus far as things are set to open up a little bit later. Steve? Yeah, I'll bring this up. You, you fascinate me by a lot of what you said there, but I'll bring it up um, with all our guests throughout the show as well. This, this Apple story as well, right? Okay, you know, we're, we're trying to get rid of a few of the, um, the, 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 the erroneous comments out there in the market. Well, Apple, yeah, Apple is the big headline, calls the NASDAQ to go down. All the suppliers are down in Asia. Big concern about Apple, yeah, and the Barclays downgrade, concern about demand from Asia, et cetera, et cetera, going forward. And there's the semiconductors and uh, Hynix and everyone down lower. Do you know what the analyst actually did to the stock? Any of you? Well, yeah, they downgraded it. It's now underweight from uh, whatever it was previous, um, uh, neutral, whatever it was. The fact of the matter is they cut the stock price by one dollar. Well, isn't that just a bid ask in some markets? They cut it by one buck from 161 to 160 dollars, which is still 24 bucks below where it's currently trading as well. Not the most enormous. Yeah, we're so bearish, we've changed our call by a buck. Matt Orton's chief market trash is at Raymond James Investment. Hello there out of St. Petersburg, Florida. Lovely to see you. Happy New Year, Matt. I mean, market, oh, we're all so scared. The horses are scared. But they cut their rating by a buck on Apple as well. People still like a lot of these stocks, or in the case of Barclays, have only marginally changed their bear market call. Good morning to you, sir. Hey, good morning, Steve. Happy New Year. And I think you make a really good point. You know, this market is loves to jump on a lot of this news and then just run with it. At the end of the day, the weakness in the market is expected. I don't think it's just coming down to Apple and negativity around Apple, because like you said, at the end of the day, the share price target on Apple moved down by a dollar. I think it just gave investors a reason to actually think about taking some profits as you head into a period of uncertainty. 
We get the FOMC minutes later on today in the U.S., and you're, you're looking at a market that's basically had an unprecedented two-month rally that has gone unchecked. So I remind clients it's important to remain optimistic, pay attention to the fundamentals, but this is not a market to be chasing higher, especially right now. It's a market to be opportunistic with going forward um, and use any sort of downside, especially more possibly prolonged downside, to reallocate to higher quality companies with really, really durable fundamentals, some of which could be some of these mega cap names. Um, But don't be chasing them higher. Yeah, Matt, I was saying to viewers earlier on as we were getting you good to come on that this rally started aggressively arguably late 2022 you talk about a couple of month rally that has obviously been the latest uh, um latest i don't know catalyst or, or fuel in the tank but the fact of the matter is we've pretty much doubled from our lows uh, where we were in covid as well we've we've rallied aggressively since late 2022 as well it's only natural we should take a breather but the real question is have valuations gone out of kilter with reality uh, and maybe i can specifically ask you about the technology stocks before we move on Yeah, I don't think so, actually. I think you need to look and separate the Magnificent Seven from the rest of the market because the the rest of the market is trading at maybe 15, 15 and a half times forward multiples, which is historically cheap. The other reminder I give clients is that using past priors of what a 20 or 30 year forward PE average is, I don't really think is that viable going forward because the market itself has structurally changed over the long term. The market has become growthier and growthier companies tend to command a higher multiple and as a result saying, yeah, the median looks a little bit off relative to the past 20 or 30 year history just doesn't fit with where we are today. So again, it's a reminder to clients to really be selective and not to look at the index as just some big monolith. You actually have to do your homework And I think that becomes a lot more important going into a year like this, where the everything rally is exhausted, and you need to own higher quality businesses that are trading at what I would say is a reasonable valuation. But a lot of these tech names have grown into their valuations, and names like NVIDIA and others that are trading at 30, 40 times multiples, those skew the rest of the market where there's still a lot of really good discounts on businesses that are growing in double digits year over year. Yeah. Matt, in your notes, you then say it would be unfair to kind of just ask what would go wrong. But I'm actually going to pose that to you then. What could go wrong? You look at those valuations. We're speaking about, yeah, that's pretty much that's what the market wants at a time like this. Then actually, those PEs do need to be a little bit high. But what could go wrong in a year where it seems like expectations are just so high consistently? Yeah, you know, Arabila, I think it's a good question to ask now. I don't think it's a good question to be thinking about just longer term because we came into this year extremely overbought with a market that I think is over with respect to Federal Reserve rate cut pricing. So the market's pricing double the amount of rate cuts that the Fed actually penciled in. And we're going to find out later on today whether the Fed was actually really talking about rate cuts during that meeting. So A more hawkish tilt to the FOMC notes could possibly bring the market back to reality. So that's definitely one thing that could go wrong for the market. I think the other critical piece of this puzzle that that needs to work to sustain the rally higher, particularly sustaining market breadth 
increasing is going to be earnings growth. So earnings have to grow. My expectation is for between 12 to 15% earnings growth on the S&P 500. And I don't think it's that unreasonable, even with inflation coming down. But again, it's in areas of the market where, where you're looking at healthcare expectations are low, they've underperformed. I think earnings growth in areas like medical devices, in HMOs, so some of your insurance companies, that can exceed to the upside. Energy is coming up against easy comps as you head into the second, third quarter of this year. You can see beats and raises over there. And technology continues to grow earnings to a very strong degree. So there are still selective opportunities there. Again, the key there, Arabile, is selectivity in what you want to own moving forward in 2024. The same selectivity when it comes to the small caps. I mean, you look at the Russell 2K, that, that also had some of its unprecedented gains as well, especially towards the end of the year. Yeah, you know, small caps is an area that I have favored for a while, and I was really pounding the table with clients earlier in October, perhaps a little bit early. But at the end of the day, we had one of the largest years on record of dispersion between the Russell 2000 and the S&P 500 in the books. I think it was the worst year since 1999, which takes the cake for, for the worst year in terms of that dispersion. You also have valuation between the Russell 2000 and the S&P 500 that's trading at the widest margin since 2002. So you're coming into this period with these massive disconnects. And even though small caps are up 20 plus percent from those October lows, the Russell 2000 Arabile is still down 18% from its 2021 highs, whereas the rest of the indices are pushing all-time highs or are sitting around 1% to 2% from those you know, January 2nd, 2022 levels. So there's a lot more room to run down market cap. But again, down market cap, 40% of those companies are unprofitable. So what you own is going to matter. And over the long term, you know, when you talk about a size premium, it's not just small caps that outperform. Yeah. It's high quality small caps that outperform. Sure. So you want to own good businesses. Matt, appreciate it. Going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much. Interesting thoughts there. Of course, we'll continue to peruse these and get over these across the year. Then a lot to really look at. Matt Orton, Chief Market Strategist at Raymond James Investment. Now, coming up on the show, Maersk hulls all of its ships through the Red Sea after a series of attacks by Houthi rebels. We'll bring you the latest after the break on that story. Plus, Tesla meets its guidance of 1.8 million vehicle deliveries in 2023. But the shine comes off a little as BYD overtakes as the world's top EV maker in the final three months. We'll have more this hour. And later on the show, we'll discuss the outlook for emerging markets and why Latin America is still a preferred region for investors. We'll be joined by Murat Olgen, who is the HSBC's Managing Director and Global Head of EM Research. Tune into that interview at 8.30 CET. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com.
Now, welcome back. Danish shipping giant Maersk says it's halting all transit through the Red Sea until further notice following a series of attacks on its vessels by Houthi rebels in Yemen. Ships instead will be rerouted via South Africa's Cape of Good Hope. Hapag Lloyd has issued a similar statement saying it will avoid the Red Sea route until at least January 9th. French shipping group CMA CGM is raising rates from Asia to the Western Med by as much as 100%. Its principal cost for a 40-foot container will rise to $6,000 from January 15th, compared with $3,000 at the beginning of the year. Sylvia's been looking into the costs and the, and, the, and the logistics issues surrounding the conflict in the Middle East. This is a huge story, and maybe for the viewers that might have been too busy over the Christmas period to follow these developments, I just want to start by providing uh, some context, because this story actually first emerged back in uh, late November when uh, a group, military group from Yemen, the Houthis, they launched an attack on commercial vessels that are going through the Red Sea. And this map actually gives you a good idea of what's happening on the ground. So you can see there that any interference with vessels that are moving across the Red Sea could compromise the commercial route from Asia to Europe via the Suez Canal. So what's happened since then is that we have several companies, the latest of them being Maersk, choosing to move some of these traffic rather than doing it via the Suez Canal, doing it through the Cape of Good Hope in Africa. And again, if I may show you this map once again, you can tell that this second route is actually much longer. It takes much longer for these vessels to carry goods from Asia to Europe and vice versa, and if doing so by the Cape of Good Hope in Africa. And so in essence, this story tells us two things. First and foremost, that there has been an escalation of tensions in the Middle East, because uh, it's worth keeping in mind as well that the Houthis, this militant group from Yemen, they're actually against Israel, they're against the US. And the second uh, aspect from this story is that there could be implications here for all of us in the sense that if this drags, we could actually see the price of goods going up. So there's a risk here for a potential higher inflation in the months ahead. And just to give you a quick sense, a quick number of what we're talking about here, by diverting this traffic, this route actually means up to $1 billion extra in fuel costs for round trips between Asia and Europe. So a point of tension here and definitely a story for us to monitor also in the context of central Well, let's banks. get another view on this now and stay with us for this. Uh, Mikael Emil Jensen is senior analyst at Sulbank joins us now. Mikael Emil, happy new year to you. Nice to see you today, sir. Um, look, um, my colleague Sylvia just graphically laying out some of the ramifications, talking about the uh, billion dollar plus of extra fuel costs. But a quick question which I'm unclear about. Is it the shipping companies that will bear this cost or actually is it very easy for them at the moment to pass this on to customers uh, in its entirety or is it somewhere in between? This is actually financially good for the for the carriers for Mask and CMA, CGM and all the others. Uh, we are seeing that uh, this actually means that you are pulling out capacity from the market uh, in a time where the demand is not very strong. So you actually see the freight rates increase, uh, like you said here in the beginning. They are exploding uh, at the moment. At the moment, not comparable to the last couple of years, but they are increasing significantly, and they will be increasing more 
then the, whatever the cost will be to uh, sail around Africa. So uh, looking at it financially, this is actually good for for uh, for the carriers, and they will be able to cover the, the extra cost. I want to look at uh, the consumers here because you've been very clear on what this means for the companies. But can you also outline, and I'm aware that you're covering uh, Maersk specifically, but could you just outline perhaps for us what could this mean for consumers all over the world? First and foremost, this will mean longer transit times. Uh, it will mean that the reliability of the carriers will decrease again and uh, you will not be able to predict when your goods will arrive. That's the first thing. The next thing is obviously that the freight rates have increased. And as you mentioned, it could push the inflation up, uh, uh, depending obviously of how long this, this will go on. Um, so uh, first and foremost, this will mean longer transit times, uh, worsening of reliability, uh, but also potential uh, increase in, uh, in prices. I also would like to ask you about the outlook, because obviously during the pandemic, we saw severe interferences with supply chains. Um, how do you see the months ahead, given these latest tensions in the Middle East? What does this mean for the outlook for companies such as Maersk? It's uh, very easy and also uh, uh, good to compare with what we saw back in Easter 2021, where uh, the Suez Channel was blocked. This, in essence, is the same thing happening here. Uh, however, there are some differences. Back in 2021 and 22, the supply chains were already damaged. Uh, there were uh, bottlenecks all over the world. The freight rates have already increased. There was strong demand, and they were, there were not enough ship, uh, ships on the, on the waters. Now the, the situation is turned around. There are too many ships on the ocean. There are not a much uh, demand. There are no bottlenecks. And the freight rates were initially much, much lower. Uh, so the carriers will be able to handle this much better than they did back in 2021. But there is a key difference here. And the key difference is that um, if, if you look at the, the, the Swiss channel and how, how uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, um, you know, the solution to the Swiss blockage was that we need to remove the, the ship. It was a very easy solution. When you look at this, it's much harder to see what is the actual solution to this and how long will it take. So this could potentially take much, much longer, already has taken much longer. The blockage of Suez took around six days, and this could potentially take weeks or potentially months. And the, 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 the potential damage to the uh, supply chain could be severe and, and significant. Uh, Michael Emil, good morning to you. Um, is the biggest loser here Asia? And I, and I just asked that because you have both the Panama Canal uh, struggling because of, you know, a record-breaking lack of rain in that area, so not easy to pass through there. Then you have the Red Sea effectively closed off in, in, in this manner as well. Uh, taking this longer route, does that, does that affect Asia the most? I mean, we've discussed consumers, yes, the, the shipping companies themselves, but what about Asia? I mean, they struggle the most by the seams of it here. Yeah, you're right, but I, I don't want to pick the biggest loser here. Everybody loses uh, because of this. Uh, some more, some less, but all over the world, you will be able to, to feel the, 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 the impacts of, of this event. Uh, I also want to point to, to the Red Sea and the, and the uh, countries in that area. They are now in a blind spot for the logistics companies. It will be very hard for those, uh, 
for those uh, countries to get their goods. Uh, obviously, you are right. China will also suffer, but Europe will also suffer. And in the near future, we will see potential bottlenecks, uh, both in in Europe, but also potentially in uh, in Asia. Uh, also, going forward to uh, the Chinese New Year, where you typically see a peak season uh, going in, into the weeks before that. Uh, so, so we are looking into a situation here where where. Uh, uh, we would get stronger demand, but also uh, lower capacity, and that will increase crisis further. Um, final question from me. Um, it's another straw on the camel's back of a, an economy that's struggling in Europe as well. The PMIs, yes, they were pretty awful across the board in contraction uh, continuing. Um, how much more can Europe take before actually there is a real problem when we get a broader recession? Well, I... Uh, First and foremost, I, um, this is obvious, not, obviously not positive, but as I mentioned uh, before, uh, the carriers will be able to handle this much better than they did back in 2021 and 22. So I don't want to compare it with that. You, you should not expect an explosion in, in bottlenecks and, uh, and compare it to what we saw in 2021 and 22. But obviously, this is not a, a tailwind for the economy and they will, will only make the situation uh, worse especially if this takes on if, if this goes on for months uh, for months on end uh, it's very hard then to predict what the outcome will be um, but um, but uh, I, I do see that carriers will be able to handle this much better than back in 2021 and 22. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho weekdays on CNBC.